0: Hi, this is Lisa Smith-Henderson, and I'm the host of the podcast Alma, Am I Racist? If you want to know about Alma and a little bit more about how the show came to be, you can go to the website almamiracist.com. We're glad to welcome back Reverend Amber Lowe Woodfork. She's got a Master of Divinity. She's working on her PhD right now, so we'll have her back so we can call her doctor. But in the meantime, we call her Reverend. If you want to go to her website and find out about what she does and also read some of her great blog posts, go to truthistrouble.com. Now, Amber, we've been talking a lot, but I'd like to say as much as I wish... I am not as educated on the history of slavery as I think I should be.
1: Right? I learn more and more and more every day, right, about what it meant for slaveholders to have insurance policies, right, on their enslaved African subjects, right? <laughs> the economic part of slavery, we, we get the brutality, right, against the physical body, but the economic damage as well and the economic dehumanization through slavery is a whole other conversation that we have not even tipped the iceberg of yet
0: no and I think you know what white people need to wake up to and I will say my family part of the storyline was well our ancestors had slaves but they freed them and they all stayed because they loved the family
1: <laughs> I've heard that <laughs>
0: Something about that, even as a kid, I was like, that doesn't like, make it sense. It don't sound right.
1: No, like, you know, who, like
0: who, I, who could, I mean, when I escape this family I'm in right now, I'm leaving and never coming Yeah, back. listen. So I'm thinking, and it was very cool because during the pandemic, our family started having Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. And it was all generations. And the last one we had was family members that had... Done a lot of genealogy work. Mm-hmm. And so one of my cousins said, Did our family own slaves?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I yeah, said, Have
1: a hard conversation.
0: Well, but what was great was nobody was trying to pretend like it wasn't real. Okay. And that was, and I'm very blessed. The majority of my family is very progressive and mm-hmm. very in touch with what's going on but it's mm-hmm. like let's not pussyfoot around this they didn't yeah. stay because they liked the family right i mean my great grandfather was in his 90s mm. and i remember hearing stories about his boy robert who was mm-hmm. a grown man well he traveled with robert i'm sure robert was probably a slave yeah you know, he didn't stay with Big Daddy because he loved him. He stayed with him probably because he didn't have economic means. Exactly. The whole family was still there. Exactly. You know, it, there was nothing pretty about this.
1: And, and part of it, too, not only did, did people stay because, you know, they were afraid to just venture out, right, because of lack of economic opportunity. You have no, no education, no money, right? Where am I going to go? But you also stay, many also stay, because it's a mind thing as well, right? Right. The Stockholm Syndrome. Exactly. I mean, part of, you know, child slavery's genius, for lack of better words, right, is that you break a person by taking and breaking their mind. Y'all know it's not because I liked it. No. (laughs) No, it's not not that. (laughs) I think that's the conversation
0: needs to start with white people. And I would just like to say on behalf of my family, I am very sorry Mm -hmm. for what we did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Owning slaves and not acknowledging it all these years. So I would like to say to you, Amber, I'm sorry that happened. And I'm sorry my family was part of it. Yeah. I think why it's got to start with white people owning this.
1: It does. And no, it's, it definitely does.
0: it's ugly and it's embarrassing and it's horrid. And I said to my son the other day, I was in tears on the phone. He said, mm-hmm. how are you doing? I said, I'm having a rough day. You know, it's like the more I learn, the worse it gets kind of. Yeah. And I said, why do black people even speak to us? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, they're, they're well. People,
0: and he yeah. was like, I know, mom. There's that. Here's that. <laughs> no, I mean, really, why? The yeah. more I learned why. Yeah, why, yeah. Why would you even give me the time of day yeah. that people that look like me have done? And it's
1: many of us who don't. Let's be clear. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's many who don't. But no, you're, you're exactly right, Lisa, when you say that these conversations, Black folks have been having them for a long time. Right. We, we've been talking about this, writing about it, protesting about it, you know, trying to fix this whole entire system. Right. For a very long time. And like you say, and it's a hard pill for many white folks to swallow. But this is you all's fight. The fight against white supremacy, the ways in which it intentionally takes over healthcare systems, education, right. Criminal justice, the legal system, all that. Black folks have been talking about this right, and have been fighting against this. It has been, is well overdue now, my opinion, for white people to say, you know what, this is wrong. We need to take up this mantle. This is, op- racism is not my burden to bear as a, as a Black person. You know, exactly. It, and I tell people that all the time when I'm asked, you know, for example, people ask me, you know, where I'm from. And I'll say Mississippi. And the response is, is always, oh my God, I'm from Mississippi. As if I should be ashamed no, I should not be ashamed of where I'm from and of Mississippi. No, you should be ashamed. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. not my burden to bear, right? I didn't create it. I don't maintain it.
0: <laughs> well, and the stories I hear white people tell themselves, and, and I, I I can't say I'm exempt from having done this in the past. This isn't me. That's not who I am. I don't mm-hmm. believe that way. It doesn't affect me. I think that, We have got to start standing up to each other.
1: Yeah, for sure. And say,
0: this isn't right. I have got two family members. One just died, so it was three. Basically, they don't speak to me.
1: Yeah, good riddance.
0: (laughs) Outspokenness about Black Lives Matter and for starting podcasts. Like, are you serious? Yeah,
1: yeah. Goodbye, sirs and maams.
0: Yeah, not, I mean, even, not even like, I don't like your president. I want a different president. It's like, I think there's systemic racism. That's enough to not speak to me. You're yeah. that threatened that you
1: don't want to look at your white privilege. I have friends, you know, white colleagues of mine, folks I work with right in, in Atlanta, who were asking me over the summer, specifically after the George Floyd murder, Amber, what can I do? And I feel so helpless. I'm like, you're not helpless, number one. Number two, talk to your family. The first thing you can do is talk to, your, talk to your family. Yes, educate yourself and read and whatnot, but you'll never, you know, read enough to ever know everything, right? So that, that's an ongoing process. You know, you, you don't read one book or read one story and you know everything about systemic racism, as we we have said, right? But I, I told them, I said, I always say that when people ask, you know, what can I do? Talk to your family. Get them together, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right, I post this all the time. On, the hard yeah, questions. Yes. I mean, I posted this one day on, I think it was on my Facebook page or on Twitter. It was an article about some something about, about racism, right? And my caption was, white people, get your people, right? <laughs> get get your people. Because again, we black folks are tired. Even the children, even black kids who just got here still are born with that trauma that they have yet to experience but it it's been passed down right and they feel it as soon as they get here so we tired <laughs> well <laughs> you know. so there is the directive mhm for sure and and it's hard i mean it's i i've had you know falling outs with family members you know so so i get you know how how it can be hard to you know, lose a family member or, you know, have some type of bad blood, for lack of better words, right, between family members. I get that. But at the same time, Black folks are dying every day. Right. And it's not just at the hands of police, right? Black folks are dying because of environmental racism, right? Black people are dying because of, you know, lack of adequate health care, right? Black women are dying in birth every day in Georgia. We die at higher rates, than our white female counterparts. And so we, we literally die every day because of systemic racism. I mean, we die mental deaths because we lack the, not the vision, but if all you see is what you see and you can't see beyond that, you know, that plays on you. And so black folk are dying every day. You'll be fine if you lose, you know, an aunt or an uncle. Oh, because, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, to me, it tells me everything I need to know.
1: That's correct. I don't even want to be around someone in my family, for example, who isn't open to and is violent towards people, you know, who are LGBTQ. Right. Like I, ha- I'm very clear on that. Like you start talking about people because of their, you know, sexual identity or gender identity right, then I can't take that. That's violence to me. If I'm willing to not talk to folk because of that, then there got to be white folks who say, you know what, I can't fool with you.
0: So you give a very clear message. This is a very clear message about what white people can do. Because, yeah, everybody's like, ooh, what can I do? What can I do in my little neighborhood? Yeah. What can I do? Okay. Right. <laughs> First thing you're saying is start talking to
1: other white people, starting with your family. Yeah. and And also, what are you willing to sacrifice? That's the biggest thing, right? What are you willing to give up? Because you want to see a more just and equitable society, right? Uh, where people are not discriminated against because of their race, class, gender, right? What are you willing to you know to put on the line to ensure that someone has voice and someone has space and someone you know has the same rights that you do, someone is fully recognized as human, and that's the hard part. People don't want to give up anything.
0: Well, and I think it's it's also if I look at myself in that light, that I have been part of that oppressive system, then that makes me a bad person. And I'm not a bad person. And I'm not speaking just for myself. I'm talking about Yeah, you're talking about the general,
1: I'm
0: a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. So I'll be the first one to tell you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got problems. I screwed up. I'm doing better. I try every day to do a little better. But I think, in general, it's so hard to look at ourselves and say, "Whoa, that was mm-hmm. wrong." And also, too, the systemic racism part means there's so much to it. White people get overwhelmed and go, "I can't, I can't do anything."
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, imagine how how it feels be, being the the recipient. No <laughs> kidding. No, kidding. The, you know. And I mean, I think what it is, Lisa, is people don't want to admit their faults and, and their shortcomings. It's pride. It's hubris. We're so prideful as humans that we can't just say, OK, that's wrong and I'm wrong and, I, and I'm complicit. I mean, there are things that I have said that were wrong. And I've been complicit in some things, right? In my younger, I'm still young, but, you know, in my, <laughs> in my younger days, right? I'm like, oh, God, I said that. OK, let me, number one. Admit that I said that, number one. Number two, what did I do to further feed into this idea or thing, right, number two? And number three, how can I make it better? How can I make it right? I've had to do that. And again, it takes not being prideful. It takes you swallowing your pride and saying, okay, I'm not always right. So that's one concrete thing that white people can do.
0: Have you got another idea, tips, like things that, like protesting? How Mm -hmm. important is that? Yeah, for sure. I joined a book club, white people who are trying to become educated. And it's Mm -hmm. turned out we've kind of been a support group as we've all gotten very vocal, you know, watching the cards fall and people, you know, defriending us on Facebook. But there comes a point where we can only read so many books. You're right. Mm -hmm. So then what's the next action?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say read as much as you can, number one. And then, or, you know, that's number two, listen, right? I will also say, you Uh know, listen to people. Listen to Black folks, right? Listen to Black women and Black boys. Um, You know, when they talk about these experiences, people get shut down so fast, like I say, the classmates of mine, you know, who say things like, oh, we're in the same class and, you know, and all this. I'm just like, first of all, can you listen for a second <laughs> to what I'm telling you? You know, not just, just what I've read, but what I've experienced. Right. Um, so listening is important. And like, and, and you bring up, bring up a good point. You know, when there are demonstrations taking place, you know, we need, you know, folks to join us in that. Um, And not just to be there, you know, as a performative gesture, but as a, you know, showing me that that you are really committed to this fight, right? So it doesn't end at the protest, you know. So yes, talking to your family, reading, listening, showing up and being an ally in these spaces where uh, where the, the demonstrations are taking place. And like I say, evaluating how do I concretely feed into this system of oppression, right? And how can I divest from it? What can I give up? And if you know that, you know, in your workplace where they're not hiring Black folks, don't work there anymore. Quit. Go work somewhere. Right. Ask why. Yeah, ask why. Why do you not hire Black people or more Black people, right? Why do you only have one Black person? Commit to hiring more or if they don't want to hire more, you quit and you leave. And like I say, that, that requires a deep commitment that goes beyond the performative in the now.
0: Yeah, that's an integrity piece yeah. that I think we've got to get to. And that means facing the truth and saying, yes, I am still, not just my ancestors, I am personally still part of the problem. Yeah.
1: If I'm supporting this institution. And if you go to a church... Where the theology, you know, supports white supremacy, where your pastor or your faith leader does not speak out against it, you know, leave. They're only open because you keep going, right? Leave. I mean, I have walked out of many a sermons and many of many services where I felt like the message was violent towards women or violent towards someone, right? Or why I just felt like you want, you want a preach about nothing. And I've left. It's not, it's not hard. So if, if you're in a faith space, right, a faith community where the faith leader either clearly supports white supremacy and the and the right, or if they don't speak out against it, challenge him or her. I have a friend who says that her pastor, although he's not racist, he never would speak on issues of race, gender, sexuality, class, right? You know, he would keep it, you know, real cute, real PG. And so she pushed him. She said, you know, can we talk more I think it was about immigration, was a big concern of hers. So she says, you know, can we talk more about what's going on at the border and what's happening to, you know, to children at the U.S.-Mexico border? And so her walking up to him saying, can we talk more about this, led him to then create these groups throughout the church where they focus on specific justice issues, right? And they have someone come in and they talk about how the biblical text, right, relates to whatever that is. And they go through a whole process of, almost like deconstructing their theology and what they thought they knew and believed. Right. And that was a couple of years ago. And yeah, that whole congregation has changed because she walked up to her pastor and said, can we talk about this?
0: One person can make a difference.
1: For sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they're even talking about abortion in her wow. church. Wow. Yes. That's progressive. Yes. The pastor's wife, um, she said, led, led like a month long conversation series about women's bodies, you know, the right to choose. The, the pastor's wife now <laughs> at this church, you know, at a large, multicultural, non denominational church. Um, and they're having these, these conversations because a couple of years ago, she walked up to her pastor and said, We're not talking about these things enough.
0: Well, and the fact that he listened, that is yeah. uh, pretty amazing. I interviewed Christian Smith, who is the pastor of the faith community here in Atlanta and just wrote a new book and happens to be a good friend of my son's. Yeah. And he was telling me that one of the problems that he's seen with white congregations is white people are like, I'm fine. I'm not racist. I'm going to stay in my own little pew and be quiet. And it doesn't affect me.
1: Yeah. And that is racist. That to me in itself is racist.
0: Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Saying I'm not racist and not being willing to do anything
1: is actively enforcing racism. Participating. Yeah. Yeah. You saying that if it doesn't affect me, and that goes back again to our theology, Lisa, believing that because something that doesn't affect me directly, it's not my problem. No, it's it's all my problem, right?
0: (laughs) Well, and I've likened this racism to alcoholism Mm -hmm. because alcoholism is one of the diseases that tells you you don't have it (laughs) and i think racism is kind of the same way it's like what i don't have that well that's part of the actual ism that is Mm -hmm. part of the disease Mm -hmm. so what you're saying is by our inaction yeah and our complicity we are being overtly racist
1: for sure for sure. I mean it's it's like if I see someone being wronged in any kind of way and I do nothing other to intervene or call someone to intervene, I just let it happen and do nothing and go on about my day, I participated in you know, in that person's, you know, demise, you know, by not saying anything and by thinking that it didn't affect me when it does. I get what it is. Like I say, it, it goes back to this whole idea of individualism versus collectivism, right? And thinking that because I view you as outside of my community. And I shouldn't care about you, right? Because it's not me. I shouldn't care when you should.
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, if somebody can get cranked up about a dog being abused, call animal control, and being willing to give to the Humane Society and adopt a pet, okay, yeah. you got it in
1: you for that. That listen, in- you said it, not me. It's true. Like what, li- girl? You. <laughs> I know. Listen, I've heard it said. I don't want to. It's, I'm it's like, true. I don't wanna- but what they want to get outraged about?
0: Yeah, you want to get white people upset, start talking to yes. them about these
1: dogs. I'm talking about some animal abuse. And it's wrong. It, Of course it's wrong. I have a pet, I have a cat, right? I mean, it's, I, it is wrong. However, that same energy that you have, you know, for that, you know, have that same energy when, when a human, right? When, when a human being is being abused and wrong, right?
0: Here's another thing, and I wonder if you've run into this as well. When this first started, the way I heard the conversation turning was... Well, child sex trafficking is terrible.
1: Okay, well, talk about okay. that too. Yeah, we're not talking no about stop You can about, about that. Like, don't yeah. don't go changing the narrative here. Right, don't change the subject. Yes, that is terrible, and we should care about, especially in Georgia, where child sex trafficking is like you know the number one industry here, right? No one's saying you shouldn't care about that, but we're also talking about the long term effects in the in the ways in which. This this didn't end in the 1800s. This continued on in different ways, right? It showed back up again, you know, in, in Jim Crow laws, in the, in the carceral the system, right? Exactly. It showed up again in in the way that the people are allowed to vote, right? It shows up again in our carceral system. I hate folks to do that. Like, don't change the subject, you know? Care about that too. But we're talking about this right now. Stay, stay on task. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, this has been enlightening and fun. I will say yeah, you're quite you. fun and funny. <laughs> I enjoyed the thank conversation. <laughs> and I thank you for being willing to just be very clear. Not every white person has somebody to ask. Yeah. That will tell them, hey, here's what
1: you need to do. Listen. Yeah, to I mean, that, there are white folks in this country who have never seen a black person because of where they live, right? Well, <laughs> let me tell you
0: the funny It's a real
1: thing. <laughs> This
0: woman friend of mine that started the white book club for, to learn about anti-racism. She had never seen a black person until she was 17. She grew up in Montana.
1: She's yeah. Married- I was
0: gonna say, Idaho, Montana, black folks don't live up there. <laughs> She's married to a black man. Yeah. So in a way I have to think that was good. Like it was a blind date and she met him for the first time. She opened the door and she goes, Oh, you're black.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Come on, blind dates.
0: (laughs) And that was kind of it, you know, but, uh, so she wasn't carrying a whole lot of baggage, but
1: I said, Yeah, there are people who have never seen a black person and and their only image of one is negative. Right. Of all the people to start the book club. Like I thought you
0: were totally woke. You know, you're married to a black man. And she said, I'm learning so much. No one is immune from this.
1: No, for sure. For sure.
0: I am so excited. I want people to check out your website, you. com. Thank you. Thank you. And Reverend Amber Lowe Woodfork, you also preach. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, are your speaking engagements listed on your website? You know what? I need to, I need to add that.
1: That's, that's, a, that's a good idea. But I'm the assistant pastor at a Methodist church here in Atlanta. It's called West Mitchell Street CME Church. It's a historically black congregation. And so I've been there for about a year now, ordained elder, ordained clergy in the CME Church in the Methodist system. So yeah, I've been preaching since 2012, about eight years now. It doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get any easier, again, especially the more you learn and the more you see the ways in which, you know, the gospel of Jesus, you know, is not divorced from, you know, the very real ills of the world um, and the systems that maintain these ills are the same things that, you know, Jesus was preaching against and speaking to in his day, Right. And so, um, yeah, the more the more I see clear connections, it doesn't get any easier because it's, it's, it's almost a burden. I, ha- I have to preach this. I can't ignore this. And people come to church and they want to be they, they want to feel good, you know, and they just want to, you know, praise and, and not worry about what's going on in El Salvador, But that's not the gospel. Yeah. Jesus is- would have been sitting in the thick of this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And the think of it, because he was. And this is why, you know, many hated him. We've made Jesus appetizing. We've sanitized him, right, in such a way that he's appetizing, right, for our very simple understandings of what God is and what God desires. That's not what I'm called to preach.
0: <laughs> no, and I, I bless you for that. And I thank yeah, you thank for your service. Because, <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you liked Amber's flavor, you can hear more <laughs> of her.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I hope you'll come back and join us again. Oh, for sure. Please. Yeah, I would love to come back. Reverend Amber Lowe Woodfork, go to her website. It's awesome. Blog posts are available, her bio, and her work with social justice truthistrouble.com. That's Reverend Amber Lowe Woodfork, truthistrouble.com. I'm your host for the podcast, Alma Am I Racist? My name is Lisa Smith Henderson, and I welcome any emails you have. You can send them to almaamiracist@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and check out our website, AlmaAmiracist.com. Thanks for joining, and we hope to see you again next week.